just to reiterate what uh, JP said a few minutes ago, I am not Patterson Morgan. I know that sometimes it's hard to tell us apart, but I just remind you of the key distinction. Um, I wear a tie. I'm sure that uh, there may be somebody here disappointed that I'm not Patterson Morgan. And uh, if you are a visitor and you came here to, uh, to hear Patterson Morgan preach, then come back next week. Um, he will be speaking and we will feed you. And so we do have the visitors luncheon next week. And so um, do, do do that, do come back. And I will apologize for not being Patterson Morgan, but I am Tim Partlow. I do a fairly good job of being Tim Partlow. And so that's what I'll do today. Uh, Patterson called to see if I would be uh, willing and able to fill in so that he could stay at Winterflame for the whole weekend. His initial plan, I think, was to come, come back and to preach today, but, uh, but he called to see if, if I would do this. And, you know, I've been called a, a few other times to, to preach, and it's, it's uncanny. Most of the time, I know what I'm going to say uh, when, when I'm asked. A, a year ago, a little over a year ago, um, I was actually working up a sermon. I do that periodically. I just work them up for fun. And, uh, and, and I was actually about a day away, uh, a week away. I, I had to said, next week, I'm going to call Patterson and see if, uh, you know, just let him know that if he ever needs a week off, uh, I could be available. I have a sermon ready. Well, the next day he called me and he said, hey, is there any chance you could preach this Sunday? And so that was great. I, I had that sermon all set. This time he called, and um, I, I really didn't have a sermon prepared, but, uh, but I told him I would. I told him I, I would be happy to. And uh, a lot of times, you know, those sermons that you're creating, those things you're thinking about, it's, it's what you're studying. It's what you're in at the time. And so when he asked me, there, there, there were... There was something I've been doing a lot of research and reading on, um, and, uh, and it's serious. It, it's, uh, it's about some of the things that are going on in our culture, and, and I've been really studying it, trying to understand what does the Bible say about it. And so I thought, okay, well, that's a good idea. It, about a day or two into it, I'm like, you know what, this is not a sermon I'm going to preach here. So, uh, so that, that went to the side. And, uh, and, and I've also been looking at um, some, some videos about um, how you should read the Bible, how you should look at the Bible, the way the Bible is set up with different patterns and, and, and different themes that run through it. And I thought that would, that'd be a pretty good sermon. So for a couple of days, I worked on that and I created several pages of notes and then I realized this was, no, this was not going to be a good, it was going to be either several hours long or, uh, or it was going to be incoherent. And, uh, and I didn't think either one of those options would work. And, and so that's strike one, that's strike two. Uh, my, my third sermon, uh, I said, what am I going to do? I'm getting to the point of desperation. And I said, you know what? And this, this will make a lot of sense to you, I think. I said, um, I'm going to go to a parable that I've never really understood, and, and I think I'll try to figure out that parable and preach that. And so that's what I did. I, I chose a parable that really has never made a lot of sense to me, and, uh, and, and I looked at it, and I did some research, I did some study on it, and uh, so that's what we're going to look at today. And so, let's look at Luke chapter 16. 
starting at the first of that chapter, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what am I going to do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your heart. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So that's the parable. The, the, uh, the, the parable that is often referred to one of two ways. It's either the parable of the unjust steward, uh, or it's the, the parable of the shrewd manager. That'll be our poll question for today. You can vote on that later. Which title do you prefer? Uh, the, uh, the unjust steward or the shrewd manager? Uh, but, but as you look at it, do you agree with me? Is that kind of a strange parable? Is that a little bit of a weird story? Go ahead, show me your hands. If you've ever looked at that one and gone, what are we talking about here? It does seem to be a little bit on the strange side. So as we look at it, what we probably really need to do is we need to get it set into context so that we can understand. And so as we set it in context, let's first start with the idea that this is coming from the book of Luke. And so Luke was a, was a, was a physician. Um, Luke wanted to set down an orderly account, and, and so his, his book is put together in a way that does unfold itself, that makes a lot of sense. And one of the key themes that runs through Luke is a reversal of status, a change, a flip-flop, a switch. And this reversal of status is highlighted if you look at probably maybe the, the key theme in terms of the book of Luke and it's really, it's the mission statement of Jesus. And I know it is because he said it was. After he'd been tempted in the wilderness, 
Jesus goes back to Nazareth in Luke chapter 4. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so that's Jesus laying out what his ministry is going to be like. That's Jesus talking about his, his purpose, his intention. And so you see this reversal of fortune. Uh, good news to the poor. They, they don't usually get the good news. The good news is for the rich people. Um, he proclaimed freedom for the prisoners, sight for the blind. The oppressed will be set free. And so this is the reversal of status that Luke is talking about. Um, he also has a, um, uh, a penchant for talking about social concerns. And so in Luke, there's a lot of references to the poor. Now, the poor can mean those who don't have a lot of money. But in a broader context, it is all of those that Jesus had mentioned in Luke chapter 4. And so it is the poor are those who are disadvantaged, those who are down. So a prisoner would be somebody who is sick, somebody who is injured. Those would be people who would be of lower status. And, and so he had uh, concerns for them. And as you read through Luke, uh, there's a section in the middle where the disciples are, are traveling with Jesus. Uh, kind of an illustration that we are going to be on a journey with Jesus. And so they're journeying with Jesus, and through this, there are several stories about banquets. And some of the banquets Jesus is attending are also being attended by, by prostitutes, by tax collectors, uh, by people who, who have been been lame, and, and so it is this, the poor and the downtrodden. But it's contrasted with banquets that he also sat down to with the Pharisees. And, and he was in rulers' houses at times, having banquets with those. A lot of times, those banquets ended up with a discussion, an argument, maybe a shouting match even, where Jesus is telling them, you have not taken care of the poor. And so the social concern is there, and the contrast is shown here in, in these banquets. And the other thing that's important to, to remember about Luke in terms of themes is the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. Okay, Jesus was pretty clear he was going to turn it on its head. It's going to be a little bit different. And, and this is really pointed out in Luke uh, chapter 24. If you go to Luke chapter 24, Jesus has died. And uh, there are a couple of disciples who are on the road to Emmaus, if you remember that story. And so Jesus has, has risen, but people don't know it yet. And, and he suddenly appears on the road with these two disciples that are, that, are, that are traveling, and they are sad. They are heartbroken. And he said, hey, you know, why the long faces? 
What, what's wrong? Why are you sad? They said, haven't you heard? Jesus died. We thought Jesus was going to be the one. We thought that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. We thought he was the man. And so Jesus talks to them, teaches some from Scripture as, as they go along. And, and when they get to Emmaus, they insist that he come and he eat with them. And as he sat, and he picks up the bread, and he picks up the cup, and he blesses them, and they suddenly their eyes are opened, and they realize this is Jesus. And he disappears. But what, what is Luke pointing out with this? When we approach Jesus with our preconceived notions and our, our predetermined ideas about who He is and what He's going to do and what He's about, we can't see Him. But when we realize who He really is and what He's really here for, then we can see Him. It's flipped upside down. Jesus didn't come to be the leader the disciples thought that He was going to be. And so that's kind of the context of, of, of Luke itself. Now let's look at what's going on before and what's going on after. And so this is sandwiched between two parables. And, and spoiler alert, the first one is a Hall of Fame parable, no doubt about it. The one after, eh, it's pretty highly regarded. And so what we normally do, okay, what I normally do, is I observe the Passover. Okay, I like the prodigal son. I don't know what the shrewd manager's about. Lazarus and, uh, you know, the rich man and Lazarus, that one kind of makes sense. And so we just kind of pass over this one that's in the middle. So let's remember where they are. All three of these stories have to do with um, a rich man. And, and in the, the prodigal son, the son asks for his money, goes, squanders it, loses it, and when it's gone, finds himself without any friends. And so he's destitute, he's impoverished, and, uh, and of course he comes back uh, to, uh, to the father. In the rich man and Lazarus, again, we have, a, we have a parable that starts just like this one. There was a rich man. And then we have Lazarus. And, and you boil that story down, and, and Lazarus did not, excuse me, the rich man did not care for the poor. The rich man was focused on himself, loved his money, took care of his things. The poor were an inconvenience. And, and so uh, in, in, in that story, it is clear the point that Jesus is making. So this is sandwiched in between these two. Now, when you look at parables, just a little bit of a side note here, sometimes parables are allegories. You can look here and you can say each person represents somebody, and oftentimes somebody in that story will represent God, and it'll be about a characteristic of God. And, and so in the prodigal son that we just mentioned, the father is representing God, Okay. Not this parable, not so much. You, you can't take these people and, and make representations like that. Sometimes, uh, like in the Good Samaritan, you're given an example. And so here's somebody doing a really good thing, and what's the bottom line? Go and do likewise. Eh, we're not going to really say go and do likewise when we talk about this dishonest manager. Uh, and, and so this one stands apart. It's a little bit different than kind of some of the typical ones that, that we look at. 
And so what are some things that we can learn about as we look at this? Um, you know, first off, what do we know about the manager? And we don't know much about the manager. And that, this is not unusual, actually, throughout the Bible. There are lots of stories told in the Bible, and if you think about it, there's not a lot of details given about the characters. And if there is a detail, it's important. Saul was tall, and that was important to that story. Um, Esther was very attractive. That was important to that story. Um, the rich man, okay, we know that there is a rich man. But, you know, even when you go to the rich man and Lazarus, we don't even know, we know Lazarus's name, but we don't know the rich man. A lot of details are left out. And so we don't have a lot of details about this manager other than uh, this manager was, was perhaps incompetent, perhaps unethical. Um, I used to be an auditor. I was an internal auditor uh, for, for a number of years. And uh, some, one of the things that, that we did is we would audit the people who provided services to our company. And sometimes when we would be doing that, um, you know, there would be uh, billionaires. They would, they've overcharged us for something. And sometimes you'd look at it and it'd be pretty agra agra uh, bad, pretty bad. It'd be a pretty bad, and, and you would go, <clears throat> you know, what, what, what's going on? Are they, are they unethical? Are they cheating us? Or are they incompetent? And, and the bottom line we'd often come to is, does it really matter? You know, if they're incompetent and can't bill us correctly, we don't need to be doing business with them. If they're cheating us, we certainly don't need to do, be doing business with them. And so what we, we don't know for sure what this manager's problem is. Maybe the manager was good, but maybe the manager has gotten lazy. And so maybe the manager is not working as hard. Now, I don't think the manager was a big cheat because he's not terminated at that moment. He's told you're not going to be my manager anymore, but there is a time period, you know, I'm going to find a new manager and you're going to train them and then they're going to, you know, but there's something going on here where it doesn't happen immediately. If he were just stealing from him left and right, he would be, he'd be in jail. He would be taken away at that, at that point. And, and so, um, whatever it is, um, it, it is, it is, he's not doing probably as well as he used to do. Um, but what we also know about him is he very, he's very concerned about his future. I'm not young anymore. Uh, I don't like hard labor. I'm not strong enough. Um, I, I don't want to be digging ditches somewhere. And, um, and I, I don't want to beg, and so what, what can I do? And so he comes up with this plan where he is, um, you know, going to try to set himself up for the future. Now, what do we know about the rich man? Um, we know that the man was rich. That's what we know for sure. Now, if you, if you go back down into the, the story a little bit, Jesus makes this comment the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. And so the people of the world would be non-believers. The people of the light would be the believers. And we'll get into that a little bit more in a minute, but I kind of assume that the rich man 
is of the world. And the manager is of the world. That, that's, that's where they live. And so we, we look at this story. The manager then is going to offer these great discounts to these people. Now, the question is, how's he coming up with these discounts? What, you know, they're, they're, they're different. Half for one, 20% discount for this one. And, and I would suggest to you that it wasn't two, that there were a number of debtors that he brings in and negotiates a good deal for them. And, and so the, the story mentions two of them. Uh, but where did those discounts come from? Now, some people have looked at this and they've said, well, it was probably the commission that he would have made, and so he just didn't take his commission. I, I think those amounts are too great. Maybe the 20% could be the commission. 50% seems to be too much. Maybe that's part of what's going on here. Um, maybe uh, the master was charging interest, and they really weren't supposed to be charging interest. It was prohibited in Deuteronomy. But... What they know from studying is that they figured out ways to get around it. Now, we would never do that today, well, unless maybe there was a loan origination fee, or, uh, you know, maybe um, points, okay? So, we also have figured out ways to charge interest without ca calling it interest. And so, maybe that's what the master was doing. And so there was this cushion. Maybe the master was a cheat. Maybe um, a lot of times, uh, especially as we read these stories, somebody who is wealthy uses their wealth to continue taking advantage of people so that they can increase their wealth. And, and we hear story. you know, there's another parable about the man who, who, who had all these barns and he just needed to build more so he could keep storing more and storing more. And it's not unusual for that to happen through unethical gain. And, and so these are possible options that the, the, the manager, the, sh the shrewd manager used to come up with a way to discount what he was giving them. And so they quickly paid their debts. And what you end up with is, is you end up with these happy customers. But what is the overall bottom line? What happens in this situation? What happens is that the rich man has positive cash flow. These debts are collected. And so there's now money in the bank. There's now money in the house. And so that's not a really bad thing. And, and maybe one of the manager's flaws was he wasn't collecting very well. So now he's got that all collected. The other thing that happens there is that the rich man in this story, his reputation is enhanced. Because these debtors are going to like doing business with him because he, he cut him some slack. He gave him a deal. And so even though the manager negotiated it, the rich man will get credit and his reputation will be improved as a result of it. And the funny thing that happens here <clears throat> is that the manager does get in good with the debtors that he's hoping will take care of him, but he also finds himself back in good with his master, with the rich man. The rich man commends him. The rich man is probably saying, that's why I put you in this place in the first place, because you're sharp. You know how to run a business. You woke up again. You're a keeper. 
I want you here. I like the way you think. I like the way you do business. And so it ends up being positive in all regards. Now, what is Jesus telling his disciples? It's not go and do likewise. Go cheat a bunch of people and cheat your manager. And, but, but, he's, but there's a principle here. And, and, and he says in here that, you know, when, when I read that thing about the, uh, the, the of the world, he, he said, uh, the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. And so what Jesus is saying, in, in part here, is use your resources to help others. Don't, don't hold on to them, don't cling to them. Use them to help others. That's what this manager did. What Jesus is telling you is that you should make friends with people that you're then going to spend eternity with. When you help the poor, when you help the downtrodden, when you help people, they're going to want to know, why are you doing this? And you can tell them you're doing this because of Jesus. And as you point them to Jesus, you create followers. Followers that you're going to spend eternity with. Jesus may be also saying to take a bad circumstance and turn it into something good. Uh, this man was in dire straits. He, had, he was going to lose his job. He hadn't lost it yet, but he was going to lose his job. The writing was on the wall. And so he took this negative situation, turned it into a positive which ended up reaping even more than he had imagined it would. And so turn a bad circumstance into something is good. Into something good. Now one of the other things that, that comes through in this story, if, if you think about it, is the fact that, uh, to use a, a, a colloquialism, we are playing with house money. Now a lot of you probably don't know what that means because you would never gamble or bet. But, uh, but if you did, and, and I didn't, but I heard of somebody who did. Uh, house money, if you walk into a place and they go, hey, you're the, the millionth person to come in our door. Here's $1,000 in chips. You can't cash them, but you can play the games here with these chips. Okay, you're playing with house money. There's no risk to you. And so if we think about the fact that God has provided us with everything that we have, we're playing with house money. This wasn't mine, this was God's. I had a friend who had a pickup truck, and, and, I, and I don't know what it's like today, but back in the day, if you had a pickup truck, you were everybody's best friend. And, uh, and, and he wasn't really crazy about that. He really wanted to keep the truck nice, and he wanted, and, but people were, you know, can you help me move? Can you, can you do this? Can you? And, and what he finally did to get peace in himself was he said, you know what? Th this is God's truck. This isn't my truck anymore. This is God's truck. And so God's truck would help people move. God's truck would be loaned out to people. God's truck got dinged up and got the paint scratched and those kinds of things happen when you're doing a lot of moving. But when he released it and it became God's truck, it became a blessing to himself instead of an aggravation as well as to the people who are around him. Now, there's another way to think about this also. There is that idea of no risk, it's God's. But 
if God is the rich man, and I am managing this for God, do I want to squander? Remember the story of the talents? Uh, You know, one person didn't squander, but they dug a hole and they buried it. And they said, you know, hey, here's everything you gave me. But they didn't take advantage of an opportunity where they could have grown it, where it could have become more. And, And so, if it is God's, then we are God's steward. The things that we have been given, we are to use those for God, for His purposes, for His service, to care for the poor, to care for the needy, to make a difference. And so, if we don't, then we may be squandering what God has given us. Jesus talks in here about uh, being trusted with a little, trusted with a lot. And if you can't be trusted with a little, you can't be trusted with a lot. And so what he's talking about there is character. Now, I know a a story, and um, I'm going to shift it up a little bit so that you can fill in the blank. And so one person goes to another person and says, I will give you a million dollars, and you fill in the blank with some immoral activity. If I gave you a million dollars, would you do this immoral activity? And the person might go, yeah. Yeah, for a million dollars, I guess I would. And so then they say, will you do it for 25 And they're shocked. What kind of person do you think I am? And they respond, we've already established that. Now we're just dickering on a price. Character. If you can't be trusted with something small, you can't be trusted with something large. And so character is what's important. And what's also important is the question, where is your heart? In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, Do not store up for yourself treasure on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so that's about character. That's about who you really are. That's about what's important to you. And remember... The one thing that Jesus comes back to and comes back to and comes back to is that what God wants is your heart. God wants your heart. And so where is your heart? And then he, he finishes you know, with, with the, the, the classic line that nobody can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, you'll be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees were very, very insulted by, by this. Uh, Jesus was talking to his disciples. Apparently the Pharisees were hanging on the outside, kind of hearing the things that, that he was talking about. And uh, they sneered at him. He saw, he saw them roll their eyes. And, uh, and he said, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. And so you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. Uh, can you have money? Yeah, you can. Does it own you? 
Does it control you? Uh, Some people need to be poor because they cannot handle having a lot of money. Some people can handle money well. And so the money is not evil. It's where your heart is that determines whether there is evil or not related to it. And so you can't serve both God and money. Um, The question again, where is your heart? But from a bigger perspective, let's look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. And here Paul says, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Our citizenship is in heaven. You know, earlier we mentioned friends that you're going to spend eternity with. That's what we should be more worried about. Laying up our our treasures in heaven is what we should be more worried about. And that may mean that we deplete all our resources here. That's okay because we're not going to take them with us. If they're used to the honor and glory of God, that means that there will be more people in eternity with us. And so our citizenship, our focus, we're not of this world. We, we are strangers in a strange land. Um, you, you know, you go back to, to, to Abraham, and, and he was a, a foreigner in a foreign land. You know, God said, this, this will be your land. But Abraham You know, the only thing he owned was a burial site. The rest of it was given later. Our land is in heaven. Our citizenship is there. And so we don't need to get too attached. We don't need to get held back. We don't need to get caught up in the things of the world. We need to keep our our, our focus on Jesus. And our mindset should be that that's where our citizenship is, is in heaven. So I, I don't know about you, for me, I feel a little bit better about this parable than I did before I, I, I kind of peeled back the onion and looked at it. It makes a little bit more sense to me now than, than what it did before. Uh, and when you look at this, and when you boil it all down, I, I, I think that the, the big thing that we should remember is that Jesus wants our heart. Where's your heart? Jesus wants your heart. And as a part of that, remembering that where we truly belong is in heaven. Where we truly belong is in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has already started. We, we are a part of it. But it's not the United States of America. It's not Tennessee. Our citizenship is with heaven. And so, um, as we wrap up today, the, the, uh, some of the elders are going to come down, going to be available to pray with you. I also know that you've got friends and people who love you sitting near you that would love to pray with you. We're going to have a time of prayer. And so the one thing I would would ask that you think about here in this time of prayer is, uh, is just, you know, where is your heart? 
Later, you can think about how can I be shrewd for God. But right now, I'd like you to think about where your heart is. Where is your citizenship? Where do you really feel like you belong? And if there's anything related to that or anything else that you'd like to come come up and pray with one of the elders, to pray with a friend, let's take advantage of this opportunity to do that right now.